during our various lockdowns, um, of which we became quite experts at, right? Easing in and out of lockdowns, not easing, but, uh, you know, flailing in and out of lockdowns over and over again. One of the things that uh, frustrated me was this idea that I couldn't simply uh, up and leave. Um, I love to travel and I love to go places. And uh, during these lockdowns, we simply weren't able to go overseas to see my family um, or to go on vacation. Sometimes we weren't able to leave the area. Sometimes we were told not to leave our house unless it was absolutely essential. Remember those those, uh, rose-tinted good old golden days? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, this, and this experience confirmed what I uh, already knew, that I love being able to go places. I love being able to leave. Uh, it's one of my, Wendy's, and my favorite things to do is to explore, is to sightsee, is to get lost in a foreign place, to hear people speak in different languages that we do not understand, to see something that we've never seen before. In other words, I love being able to change my uh, exterior circumstances. And when I don't have the option to change my exterior circumstances, I can feel trapped. We live in the second biggest country in the world. And if someone told me you could never leave Canada ever again, for me, it would be the biggest prison in the world, much as I love the country. And, you know, you know but, but just having that option of leaving... And I wonder what this says about me, uh, that if I can't change my external circumstances, I feel trapped, I feel restricted. And if you're someone who relates to me, is there anyone here who relates to me? And that just, even if you never leave, just having the option of being able to get on a plane and go somewhere. If you, if you relate, stick up your hand. I want to see that I'm not uh, alone. And uh, if this is true of you, I wonder what this says about you. Maybe it says something. Maybe it says nothing. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the idea of changing not our exterior circumstances, but changing our interior circumstances, Um, which may sound confusing because the whole idea of a circumstance is that it is exterior to you. Uh, But here's the thing. Often we place our hope and our trust in changed or transformed exterior circumstances. Uh, Maybe it's a new house or a new school or a new relationship or a new marriage. Maybe it's the holiday that you think that you need or a brand new life in a brand new city. Maybe it's even a new you, much much like Nathan. He's going to get a new him very soon. Um, A new haircut or a new tattoo or a slimmer you or a stronger you. We think that by changing our exterior circumstances, we will become happier in here. But in the account of Saul's conversion uh, that that we will hear in one moment, so I'd like to have that video ready, Lily, what what Saul's conversion tells us is that um, a better life comes when we allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to change our interior circumstances, not our exterior ones. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Our scripture today is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, 
he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. When our interior circumstances change, our perspective on our exterior circumstances also change, even though the exterior circumstances themselves may not move or change at all. And at the end of our teaching this morning, we will all have the opportunity to ask Jesus and to ask the Holy Spirit to do the change in you that only Jesus and the Holy Spirit is able to do. Now, one of the things that strikes me about the account of Saul's conversion is that before he met Jesus, he was on the way to where? Damascus. Okay, this is where, this is why many people call his conversion experience uh, a road to Damascus experience. He's heading there uh, to persecute and jail Jesus' followers. But then after his encounter with Jesus, Jesus tells him to go somewhere. Okay, so Jesus, with bright lights and a voice from heaven, tells Saul that instead of Damascus, which is where he was heading, he is now to go instead to the city of Damascus. Okay, Saul's exterior circumstances do not change one little bit. He's on the same road. He's on the same trajectory as he was before he met the living Jesus. It's not like he met Jesus and Jesus said, okay, now that you're transformed, now that you've met me, I want you to go to Jerusalem and, uh, you know, to meet the rest of the disciples or to somewhere else. No, Jesus tells Saul to continue as he was, keep going to Damascus. And this morning, I want us to seek our own road to Damascus experience, where nothing changes out there, but everything changes in here. You see, we use the road, we use this phrase, you know, they had a road to Damascus experience, or they had a Damascus road experience, to mean something like this incredible encounter with Jesus and bright lights and a voice from heaven. Um, and so we often write off the road to Damascus experience as something that will never happen to us. And so we say to people, you don't need to have a road to Damascus experience to know Jesus, right? I've heard people say that. I've said it myself. And I know what we mean, we mean that Jesus isn't just in the flashy and the big and the impressive salvation stories. He also shows up in the ordinary and the quiet and the mundane. In fact, that's usually how he shows up. But this morning, I want us to reimagine this road to Damascus experience so that instead of thinking, well, I can never have a road to Damascus experience. That will never happen to me. Instead, maybe we can start actually seeking our own Damascus road experience, that even though our exterior circumstances do not change, our interior circumstances are absolutely terraformed. And when that happens, like Saul, we can carry on going exactly where we were already going, but and maybe even doing what we were already planning to do, but in a brand new, completely different, utterly changed, forever transformed way. And if that's what a road to Damascus experience is, then I believe that it's available to every single person in this room. And remember, 
It's about an encounter with Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I'm just going to fiddle. So I, I'm not thinking about it. When, when the mic's not right, probably 30% of my brain is subconsciously obsessed on the mic. So uh, let me acknowledge that, adjust it, and, and move on. Let me change my external circumstances so that uh, I, can, uh, I can connect with you. So how does, how, does an in, how does an encounter with Jesus change our interior circumstances? Well, as in all good sermons, there are three ways. First of all, Jesus changes what comes from our mouths, then Jesus, or our hearts, and Jesus changes what comes from our mouths, and then Jesus changes what comes from our hands. When we, uh, when we encounter Jesus, the first interior circumstance that is changed is our hearts. Our, and when I say heart, I mean the center of who we are, our desires, our longings, our interests. And so the Bible uses terms like waking up or may, maybe coming to life. It talks about changing our citizenship. It talks about being a new, a new creation. There's this fundamental metamorphosis that takes place. And in Saul, it's seen in a change of his allegiance. And so we see Paul's present elite or Saul's present allegiance in Acts 9, 1-2 that says this. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Right? Saul was under the authority of the high priest. He had to go to the high priest and ask him for a letter that would grant Saul the permission to arrest those belonging to the way, which was a, 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 a great word that they used for the early church. You know, Jesus is the way and they were part of the way. Saul couldn't do this by himself. Saul didn't have the authority. His allegiance was to the high priest. However, when uh, Saul encountered the risen Christ, uh, his allegiance switched almost immediately. There's a bright light. There's a voice from heaven. And according to Saul's own account of his, of his conversation with Jesus, the third thing that came out of Jesus's mouth is Jesus said one thing. He said another thing. And then the third thing that came out of Jesus's mouth is a command. And the command was this, now go up, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Saul's allegiance is now with Jesus. With the, it was with the human high priest, but now it's squarely with the great high priest, with Jesus himself. So this first point is that uh, when we encounter Jesus, he changes what comes from our hearts. He changes allegiance. Uh, and so a, a simple question I'd ask you this morning is, is your allegiance with Jesus? Not, have you invited Jesus into your heart, but is your allegiance with Jesus? That's a different question. Now, while we're on this subject of allegiance, I want to sidebar for a second, like I just did then, to look at the terminology we use when we talk about a conversion experience or a salvation moment. You know, like I just said, we say, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Have you given your heart, you know, to him? Um, and if we really know our theology, we might say, have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? He wants to be your, your Savior, you know, that he saves you, but he also wants to be, you know, the Lord of your life. So we, but 
our language is kind of, we invite Jesus and he comes in. It's all very genteel and respectful and it's not wrong. But as we look at Saul's conversion, we see something else. And maybe as we look at Saul's conversion, we should ask ourselves, should we maybe revisit some of the popular terminology when talking about the conversion experience? You see, first of all, Jesus shows up out of nowhere in the form of a light that, no one, that everyone can see and in a voice that only Saul can see. And then Jesus asks Saul, why do you persecute me? And in this moment, Jesus is pointing out Saul's sin, right? Jesus doesn't try to negotiate or to uh, see how he can maybe come alongside Saul or to befriend him or to convince him. He doesn't try to get down on Saul's level. Instead, Jesus asks Saul why he persecutes Jesus. Saul then asks in verse 5, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Jesus introduces himself, I am Jesus, and then, you know, the persecution that Paul is uh, making happen, this, 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 this uh, haranguing of the followers of the way, Jesus is saying, this is an attack against me. Jesus is clear that he takes Saul's sin against the people of Jesus very, very personally, which should be an encouragement for anyone suffering for Christ. And then without even giving Saul the opportunity to clarify or to ask questions or even to repent, Jesus then says this. This is the third thing Jesus says. He says, now now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, how many times have you heard the salvation process being explained like this? First of all, let me show you your sin. Secondly, let me introduce you to Jesus who who, by the way, takes your sin very, very personally, and thirdly, obey him. Jesus doesn't spoon-feed Saul here. He doesn't even knock politely. He shows up, he shows Saul his sin, he introduces himself, and then he demands obedience. Oh, and he blinds Saul so that Saul is utterly dependent on the community of faith that he was just trying to eradicate. Why don't we try that next time we have an altar call? You know, but the thing is, it works, right? Saul's allegiance has changed because Jesus changes what comes from our hearts. Jesus also changes what comes from our mouths. Right before um, Rose asked, what kind of things was Saul saying? Acts 9 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. What a horrific picture. Can you imagine someone breathing out murderous threats? You know, can you imagine the hatred, enmity, and the sheer vitriol uh, that Saul felt towards the disciples of Jesus to be inhaling and exhaling hatred, hatred in, hatred out, Hatred in, hatred out, over and over again, all the time. Every breath I take, every move I make, I'll be hating you. Right? And I've met people like this, where their entire existence is consumed with a loathing and a resentment and a hostility towards another. Every time they open their mouths, you know what you're going to hear, just a torrent of nastiness. 
They can't let it go. They've allowed to really define who they are. And stuck here. He could not leave. He'd made up his mind about those Jesus freaks. He was a on the anti-Christian Reddit threads and the closed Facebook groups and everything he heard just reinforced this utter loathing of the Jesus followers. But I guess at least you could say that Saul lived his life with a passion, right? With Saul, you knew where he stood. He was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Then after Jesus, after encountering the risen Christ, what changes it that we see? Well, in a miracle of grace, Jesus changed what came from Saul's mouth. Saul spent, Acts, this is Acts 9.19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in, in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, what a sea change. What a transformation. And when the words that come from our mouth start to change, this is proof of a genuine encounter with Christ. You know, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 12, 34, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So this here is the overflow of this here. Okay, when this is full, this starts to open and chatter and speak. And so when Saul quits breathing murderous threats against Jesus' followers and starts preaching the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, we know that something has changed, right? So let me ask you this. What in your words needs to be changed so that Jesus can speak through you. So first, Jesus uh, changes what comes from our hearts, our, our, our allegiance. Secondly, Jesus changes what comes from our mouths, our words. And thirdly, Jesus changes what comes from our hands, our actions. You see, Saul went from wanting to cause suffering to the people of Jesus to being willing to suffer for the kingdom of Jesus. When God showed up supernaturally to this man called Ananias in Damascus, living on Straight Street, and he, he said to him that, that, to, that you have to receive Saul and you have to look after him, Ananias's response was this, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So Saul's reputation as a brutal enforcer of the Sanhedrin was, was absolutely clear. He was, the, he was the heavy man. He was the muscle. He would get the job done. And, and later, actually, Saul, you know, uh, or at that time, he's referred to as Paul, he describes his work ethic when he's talking to King Agrippa in this way. He says, on the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. I put many of the, um, 
and when, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another. You know, can you imagine that happening? From one, from one church to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. Again, can you imagine that? I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. This is a man obsessed but then after meeting Jesus and pledging allegiance to this king, to this new high priest, Saul is suddenly transformed into a man willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. In fact, when Ananias tells God his fears in chapter 9, verse 13, God answers in this way, in, in verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my child to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, the people of Israel, I will show him, okay, listen to these words, I will show him how much he must suffer. So an intrinsic part of Saul's calling was not only that he would proclaim the name of Jesus, that he would also suffer. That was part of the bargain. Um, It was a package deal. And the crazy thing here is that it seems like Jesus showed up and told Saul how much he would suffer for Jesus' name. First this would happen, and then this would happen. You have to prepare for this. You know, he just went through this list like a teaser trailer, right? The worst kind of teaser trailer you could possibly imagine, right? It it was a certainty. It was a promise. We love the promises of God, but this was a promise that he would suffer, And not just a little bit, but a lot of suffering. So Jesus shows Saul this small print and Saul still goes ahead. Why? Because that's what happens when you encounter the risen Christ. You realize that he it and that nothing is wasted for his cause, even your personal suffering. So this incredible inversion happens in Saul's life from inflicting suffering to for Christ. And in the same way that Jesus takes it personally when people persecute his people, so Jesus takes it equally personally when someone suffers for him. He's invested in their suffering. He's there in that moment with them. It's incredible. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, we can see this litany of Saul's suffering. I won't share it all with you, but Here's how it starts in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. And then it goes on and on for five or six verses. Saul just listing his sufferings for Jesus. Jesus changes what comes from our our hearts. He changes our allegiance. He changes what comes from our mouths, our words, and he changes what comes from our hands, our actions. Well, how are these three linked? How are they connected? Well, first of all, the heart has to come first, right? Our allegiance has to be made clear because people cannot see what's going on in our hearts. Therefore, have our mouths changed by Jesus because it's our words that vocalize this truth of what's happening that our interior circumstances have changed but even so our words will only take us so far actions will have to prove our words as true which is why we say things like you should put your money where your mouth is or 
actions speak louder than words, or you should walk the talk, right? And so when someone chooses the action of suffering for Jesus, that is pretty irrefutable. They're either insane or Jesus is true. So I might feel like I'm a Christian. I might say that I'm a Christian, but when I demonstrate that I love Jesus through my willingness to suffer for him, you cannot argue against that. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that Jesus has changed my interior circumstances, my heart, my mouth, and my hands. And that really brings us full circle this morning uh, in this world that is so focused on changing our exterior circumstances, whether it's our home or our neighborhood or our school or our body image or our haircut or our circle of friends. Jesus's call this morning actually comes as a bit of a refreshing change. He says, rather than you changing your Exterior circumstances, why don't you allow me to change your interior circumstances? Why not let me in so that I can do a complete overhaul of your interior landscape? Why don't you allow me to change your heart, what comes from your heart? Why don't you allow me to change what comes from your mouth? And why not allow me to change what comes from your hands? And when we do this, when our interior circumstances are changed, by Jesus, suddenly it stops mattering what our exterior circumstances are. And so Saul, after being transformed by Jesus on the road to, to Damascus, carries on on his way to the city of Damascus. He carries on what he was doing, but now he's doing it for Jesus instead of against him. And so as you look at your life, I suspect that Jesus is less interested in changing your destination or your exterior circumstances than he is in changing you. And if Saul is any example of the way that Jesus works, then Jesus probably wants you to continue what you were doing, except now you're transformed by him and you're doing it for him instead. So friends, what is your Damascus? What is this place where you live or work or play? A place that up until now, frankly, you've been doing your own thing. Maybe you've not been outright persecuting Christians, but maybe you've been silent. You've not spoken when you had the chance. You've been so focused on your own goals at the expense of Jesus' goals. Maybe you've even allowed your words to hurt or to damage others, or you've allowed your hands to inflict harm or to do things that are against God's purposes for your life. What is your Damascus? And maybe this morning, Jesus is introducing himself to you. He's saying, I am Jesus. And maybe he's highlighting to you the sin of your heart or mouth or hand. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And maybe this morning, he's simply giving you your new marching orders. Now get up. And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So this morning, if you know that you are overdue for a change in your interior circumstances, why not invite Jesus in? 
in a minute or so, you will have the chance to invite him in to do, for him to do what you aren't able to do, for him to do what only he can do, for you to have your own roads to, to Damascus experience, not necessarily the lights and the audible voice, but a change inside. Or maybe you're someone who has already pledged you Jesus, but you all know that there is something missing. Like Saul, maybe you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, after encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus, Saul in Ananias' house in the city. He was blind. He'd been transformed by Jesus, but he was still to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in 17, it says, Brother Saul, the Lord, the Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again. And then immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He was already saved. So this morning, why not ask, simply ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. He is here, he's ready, and he's willing. Monday will be tomorrow, right? And we're all going to go back to our personal Damascuses. And you have a choice that you can go to your with your own agenda and in your own power, or you can just as your master, Holy Spirit. So let me invite you to respond in one, one of two ways. First, if you know Jesus, uh, or if you know that you need Jesus to change you on the inside, simply pray, Jesus, save me, or Jesus, change me. And second, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and to empower you. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, which, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So being filled is an expectation. It's a promise. And so, as the worship team comes up, if you want to respond in either way, I simply invite you to come forward, to stand with your hands out in, a, in an act of submission and willingness, and simply breathe a deep breath, in and out, relax, and either pray, Jesus, save me, or Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Just ask and receive. Okay, is that clear? That's how I invite you to respond this morning, is to come forward, hands out, and just expect Jesus to meet you where you're at. Expect the Holy Spirit to fill you. Just pray, Jesus, would you save me? Holy Spirit, would you fill me? And I believe that he will. Amen.